from Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 112. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Perry G. Hello, Perry. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Your voice went very odd there. <laughs> I assume that was a signal rather than um, you swall- swallowing a squirrel or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting you to say hello twice. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, so keen, keen listeners um, will have noticed there that uh, I've not said hello to Johnny. Um, but hello, Johnny. Um, uh, but it's a case of Johnny's uh, not being very well. And um, as, as you may guess, that's actually been pretty much the reason why um, it's now two weeks since the last podcast, um, because we've, we've tried uh, to, to do something and, and get a show done uh, beforehand. I mean, last time we were talking, we were, we were talking about potentially doing a few more, more shows and doing shorter shows, and, uh, but that hasn't actually happened. And... And, as, and it is a case of, you know, Johnny has not been well. And I'm pleased to say Johnny is feeling a bit better. Um, but he's still not great. Um, but there's, as much as there's a little bit of positive news about him feeling feeling better, uh, there's some pretty bad news as well. And that's the fact that, as as you would realise anyway, uh, uh, Johnny's employer, Central Camera in Chicago, has uh, been shut due to the lockdown. And unfortunately now um, they're unable to actually pay their staff anymore. So uh, that effectively means that Johnny is without a job. Um, not that Johnny could work at this moment in time, but if he could, he couldn't because there wouldn't, there isn't even a place for him to go to at the moment. So um, that means that during the times where we actually make this show, because we have uh, time zone constraints and things, uh, Johnny is currently now uh, spending as long, you know, possibly all day, uh, trying to get through to uh, register himself as unemployed, and. Um, and that's proving to be difficult, as you as you might imagine. So, um, so there's a there's a chance Johnny might actually be able to join us later in the show. We don't we don't know. We've left it uh, open ended, um, but yeah, it's uh, not a good time for Johnny at the moment. So at least he's feeling a bit better. But downside is, you know, he hasn't got a job to go back to at the moment. So that's uh, that's that's pretty bad news. Yeah. So we can on his behalf, blame uh, Donald Trump for his not being here right now. Because apparently their offices are not uh, very efficient in handling this whole rollout of government support money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's all his fault. So uh, there you go. We'll we'll try and keep the politics relatively minimal this week. Um, although yeah, uh, it's, sure, what, it's what he would have wanted. It, it is it is what Johnny would have wanted. But see, he he, he he likes to keep politics away um, from from this podcast as much as he possibly can, um, as we as we know. Um, so uh, so yeah. So uh, get well uh, soon, Johnny, and hopefully you, you get you get through on the on the uh, on the phone to register register yourself onto the onto the benefit system there and hopefully you know they can help you out as best as they can and um well we'll just see where it goes from that where it goes from there really um so then on to this week's show um going back to the show we did last which was two weeks ago i Asked a, a, a left a, a question there open for everybody as to uh, the direction of the show and uh, because you know it, it's it's a, it's difficult times at the moment and I was having certainly some doubts over um, 
chatting about lenses and uh, gas-inducing podcasts and things like that, where where money is clearly tight, um, and uh, is you know almost a case of is that is that a responsible thing to even be doing? You know, so a few few questions there. Um, so we so we opened it up to said you know get in touch with us tell us what you think about uh, things that we we could or should be talking about that you want to hear and boy uh, you've done that <laughs> we have had a lot of suggestions um, and those suggestions have come in the form of uh, emails which is pretty much what we're going to be doing today and um, there have been a ton of suggestions, even more than we, the, the emails we've had in our, in our Facebook group. Now, I, I'm not too sure how far we're going to get into things uh, today because there's, there's some really, really meaty emails that we've had. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll get as far as the, uh, as the Facebook stuff, but um, we'll, let's, let's crack into uh, what we've got. And, um, and we're going to start to go, go through these, these emails and uh, consider and, in some case, answer in some case uh, defer some of the uh, the points that are made so uh, i'm going to hand over to our uh, our uh, substitute reader uh, today in hong kong and uh, and here's perry all right so so my understanding is uh, i have read all of these emails and you have read none of them right that's that that is that is the way yeah okay cool so i'm going to do my best to read these without screwing them up uh <laughs> should we jump right in we do have quite a lot and they are pretty long yeah go for it Okay, the first one uh, is from S. Benjamin Farrar, uh, sent on April 7th. And it says, Hello from Iowa City, Iowa. As a freelance artist, I've taken a major financial hit this month and need to cut back completely on acquisitions, uh, except maybe film. So I'm looking to find magic in what I already have at hand. I was wondering if your lovely crew could spend some time looking at your existing personal inventory of lenses and cameras to see which combinations give you the most rewarding experiences, especially when forced to deal with the same subject matter again and again. To make it more difficult, no panoramas allowed. All right. For example, I have purchased six or so lenses in the past year, but I'm pretty sure my best experiences have been with my Konica Hexanon AR 51.4 on my Fuji mirrorless and my Nikkor 85 F1.8 uh, adapted pre-AI on my Nikon F3. Looking through those combinations of cameras and lens lenses has given me the greatest pleasure and most rewarding photographic experiences. I just seem to see the world in a more interesting way. I can walk the same streets multiple times a week, and as the weather shifts and the seasons progress, I can, find, I can still find interesting subjects through these specific lenses on these specific cameras. Perhaps it is a kind of a desert island at home scenario. Imagine you could not venture more than a quarter mile from your home and you had to choose two lenses and two cameras for two months. You know, a crazy sci-fi scenario. Please be well. Cheers, S. Benjamin Farrar. That's a, gr that's a, that's a great one. And, uh, <laughs> and now I wish I read it first. <laughs> yeah, so the caveat here is there are quite a few of these e emails, I think, that our answer might be, well, that's cool. We'll think about it for a week and answer it next week. Yeah. Well, there's there's some there's something I, I would say on 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 that, and it was and this is actually where we took I touched upon this uh, uh, earlier in the year when I went when I went out on a foggy day, and I I took two lenses with me, uh, one lens I was I'd made myself use, and one lens I wanted to use, 
Mm-hmm. And the, the lens that I made myself use was a, I think it was an Industar 26, something like that, a collapsible 50mm, yeah. 50, 53.5 uh, Tessar clone. Um, and I took some, you know, I'm going to admit, I took some good photos um, with that. I was really, really pleased with the photos I took with it. Um, and they didn't necessarily uh, show off anything spectacular you know in, in the way that the, in, the images were rendered and let's face it it was a tessar it doesn't it doesn't really do that it just gi- it gives you what what's in front of him more or less um but i was really really pleased with those photos but i couldn't wait to get it off my camera and then i switched uh, to my um petzfel uh, the new lomography petzfel 58 millimeter f, f 1.9 and it brought a smile to my face, and I was—I I really enjoyed pointing at things and and seeing, just as Ben was saying there, seeing the world differently. And I had a, I'd a, I'd a, I'd a great time with it. And I got back, and the photos were far better with the with the old Tessar than they were with um, with the uh, with with the Petzval because I think the Petzval was just doing too much, um, but it was just fun to use. So it's 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 a it's it's quite an interesting. Um, is it a paradox uh, where where something that I, I wasn't enjoying delivered better results than, than the thing that I enjoyed most? Because I, I've always said that um, if you enjoy your equipment, you tend to take better photographs. Well, that clearly proves that's not, not exactly the case. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that is the case because this whole idea of finding interesting subjects through specific lenses um, is a little bit paradoxical in my experience as well because... You know, for for my shooting, I find that if I'm doing serious shooting or if I'm out doing, you know, like what I consider proper street photography, I have the best time with the lenses that just get out of the way um, that I don't even I don't even think about when I'm using them. So that's you know my Voigtlander 21 f4 color scope R, my Ricoh 28 2.8 uh, GR lens on LTM, and my 35 Summicron. Um, but but I can't say I enjoy those lenses. I just I enjoy doing photography. And when I want to actually be doing photography, those are the lenses I gravitate towards. But in the same way, um, as to what you're saying, Simon, I find that when I'm not focusing as much on the photography and I just want to play around, I have so much more fun with lenses that are not those three. Yeah. Uh, and so that's when I'll grab the random stuff. You know, I don't have a pet's fault, but things of that ilk. So well, that's it actually, is a bit of a paradox. I was going to say, that's actually... That's something that you're actually up to at the moment, isn't it? Because I mean, you've you've uh, um, received quite a bit of criticism in the past of of going to the uh, to to the nice stuff immediately and sort of bypassing um, some of the some of the cheaper, quirkier, old, older stuff in in many respects. Yet you've, you're having a bit of an epiphany at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you think back many many months to uh, cheap lens gate. Um, there was this discussion that I recall where you, you guys were talking about that phase that, uh, you certainly went through that Carl, uh, was, you know, constantly going through of picking up whatever random lens you could grab, uh, you know, fun, say, cheap. When you say a phase, I think it lasted five years. So it's a bit, bit more than the phase. It was, it was everything at the time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and, and I felt like I kind of went, I, I kind of missed that stage of, picking up random lenses because they were cheap and seeing what they looked like. And, you know, the entire photography with classic lenses uh, group sort of spawned from 
putting random old lenses on micro four thirds and experimenting. And yeah, I feel like I'm kind of going through that right now, but not on micro four thirds on, on Pentax six, seven. Um, <laughs> during, you, you couldn't do it simply, could you? <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, but this is a much cooler medium um, because the massive negative size really does let some of these lenses, you know, the character of some of these wacky lenses shine through. Um, so, yeah, I, I haven't touched a rangefinder in weeks. And during this period of, you know, Hong Kong has, has never been locked down, but the, the social distancing and the, the virus-induced uh, slowdown, I have been shooting pretty much nothing other than my Pentax 6.7. And, yeah, I've been picking up random cheap lenses. I, everything from enlarger lenses to lenses from broken folding cameras um, to lenses that I've had lying around uh, that have just been there on display because they're from like, you know, a 1930s folding camera from France that my cousin got for me from a pawn shop. Um, yeah. And I've been finding ways, all kinds of weird ways to put these on Pentax 6.7 and it's super fun. And I'm really, really enjoying both the process and the results, even though, you know, a lot of my shots are not in focus because it's not easy. Yeah. I can, I can, I can definitely relate to that. And I must admit if, I mean, I, I don't really. I say I don't really have a camera to do that, but I suppose I do because I've got a, I've got a Practica, um, not Practica, a Pentacon Six mm -hmm. uh, camera. So that's got a focal plane shutter and a mirror in there. So I suppose it is actually possible to do something if you can do it with a six seven. I don't see why I can't do it with a Practice Six. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the the tricky part is finding uh, the adapter. So I got really lucky and Little Garden, the shop in Hong Kong that sort of enables all of this, uh, they had a Pentax 6.7 to 62 millimeter thread uh, ring, basically an adapter in stock. So I just use that ring on my Pentax 6.7 and then I stick a 62 millimeter thread helicoid on it. Um, and then whatever lenses I end up wanting to play with, I just find a way to get it onto that helicoid and they work. So if you can find the, the sort of adapter for um, Pentagon 6, yeah, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. Well, I've got a, I mean, I've got an M65 to M65 uh, the helicoid, and I think I've got a smaller one as well. Hmm, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I've, I must have been when I first started this, 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 this part off about uh, perhaps I could do something like this. I was actually thinking that, you know, if, if I had a um, Fuji GFX, um, would that in itself um, reignite my my wish to try all the lenses out all over again, just just to just to see just how potentially wacky uh, they, those those lenses could be? And I think the answer is probably yes, but uh, mm. I can't afford a GFX. <laughs> so, mm. But I do I, I do have a Practica Six that um, that I need to uh, I need to test it at least anyway. So um, that that gives me a more of a reason to actually do it to go out into the garden if that's all i can do and just take some flowers you know it doesn't really matter does it just just go out there and actually take some photographs which would be an achievement for me at the moment yeah and you know the <laughs> you should definitely go and take some photographs um because there, there's an interesting flexibility about this too uh in terms of the types of lenses just to quickly run through the things i've stuck on pentax 6.7 recently um and the sort of results that have really surprised me Number one, I've put a lot of 35 millimeter lenses, uh, as in lenses for 35 millimeter format, hmm. on the on the Pentax 6.7, and 
you know, most of them will not get to infinity, but they almost invariably cover the the negative, which is really interesting. So, you know, I, I've put that, that Rodenstock 50 millimeter lens that I've been raving about on Sony. I, I put it on my Pentax 6.7 and it covers 6.7, but it's only macro range. Yeah. Um, so it's a lens that, you know, it, normally the, the minimum focus on that lens is like around a meter. And now I've got this sweet macro lens that I could play with. Uh, the Lights Elmars are the, the long lenses. Uh, they work really well. So that the nine centimeter f four definitely works, but I'm itching to try uh, a one one thirty five f four because I know it'll cover. But other than that, I've been sticking. Uh, I put a woolen sack one hundred thirty five millimeter enlarging Raptor lens on it, which is really nice. Um, I put a nineteen thirties uh, Lumiere Fidor Anastigmat on it, which is this f. 6.8 lens from an old 620 folder and that looks really cool. Uh it's very it's it's quite swirly um which I wasn't expecting cuz 620 film is not you know 620 film is not dramatically smaller than 120, right? It's pretty much the it's, same. It is well the actual film is the same. It's Yeah, it's, just a it's, different spool, right? That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I was really surprised that you know that lens ended up being uh, really quite swirly. So yeah, I, and then recently I've chucked a Voigtlander one hundred five f three point five Voitar from an old folder, um, and a and a bunch of other stuff. I've just been playing randomly with this stuff. And number one, these lenses flare like crazy, so I have to remember um, to watch out for backlit scenarios. But other than that, you know, they're they all look really really different, and I think that's part of the joy of this because. The difference in character between these lenses is so dramatic compared to the difference in character on a lot of, say, 35 millimeter lenses, 35 millimeter format lenses, which is a lot more subtle, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, that it, it's a ton of fun. I'm not shooting anything serious. I mean, it's almost all pictures of my cat, my girlfriend, and just random stuff. But it's good fun. But they're, they're nice pictures, <laughs> and the other the other thing there is. Um, you're shooting. You seem to be shooting a lot of color at the moment. You don't see. Are you shooting any black and white at all at the moment? Uh, the black and white's mostly of my cat, right? Yeah. So, because I, I mean, I've, I've I've commented on 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 this that the, you know you've and you've you've mentioned there about the flare, and uh, and we and when we're talking about flare in this particular instance, we're talking about veiling flare. So it, it, mm -hmm. it just like robs the, the like the entire image of of contrast, and. I'd I'd like to see you taking some of those shots in black and white, as in you know, you know, embrace that flair, uh, but do them in black and white rather than color, um, because I I think that they'll actually be quite special in in black and white. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they'll look really nice in black and white. Um, the reason I'm doing them in color, largely, is I, I want to see it, how the lenses render color differently first. Yeah. Yeah, that that's pretty much it. So I pretty much only shot like one or two rolls at most um, on each of these lenses. So once I start to get a feel for what they're like on color, uh, I'm definitely going to be shooting some of them on black and white. But the other thing too is, apart from the Elmar, I don't have any filters for any of them, um, which is not really a problem. But sometimes I feel a little bit naked shooting black and white without some filters to put on. Yeah, and what's I've just uh, I've got a um, and what is it here? It's a it's on M mount, and it's an Elmerit uh, ninety two point eight, 
um, which uh-huh. I think has that got the bit that comes off oh yes it has yeah yeah i think i checked this before and uh, it's not my lens it belongs to a chap called paul bullock of the um six times dark room and uh he handed it over to me so i was going to be giving it into uh taking it somewhere for an auction and which never happened and i've still got it uh yeah yes paul i still have your lens uh from, <laughs> from about two months ago um and i was just looking at it and thinking hold on this is the same kind of thing as you're talking about with your with your Pentacon uh, with your six seven, so yeah, this I might actually try and have a go and see if I can put this onto uh, onto my onto my Pentacon six somehow without dropping it, without doing any damage to the lens pull, um, and uh, and give it a go. Because it, at first I was thinking to myself, why would it bother? You know, it's 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 ninety millimeter two point eight. Well, I've got an eighty millimeter two point eight that just works and it's it's a good lens and all that kind of stuff, but. The difference is, it's like you're you're saying, you know, it's not designed for six by six. You know, it's, yeah, it's designed for thirty-five millimeter. But we know it has a, a larger image circle than the the most thirty-five millimeter lenses, and so it's going to deliver something different to what that to what that lens is designed to go on the uh, the camera, which is really what this whole podcast and what the the love of using classic lenses is all about is to see the different characteristics and em- embrace the, the the things that are clearly wrong with a lot of lenses and uh, and and get get joy and pleasure out of them yeah i i think you'll like this one better than the uh the 92.8 elmar i've been shooting because you know mine is a tessar but this is a five element lens uh five element through group so it might be more heliar-esque mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you, you say here, Leo, you know how to push my buttons, don't you? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because, I mean, you can't really do this with large format, right? Because you need shutters in the lenses. Yeah. So this well, is the well, closest. You, you can, but you you end up doing things with uh, low low ISO or you do, uh, like, I was chatting in the previous podcast about um, uh, Peter Defty, um, who we interviewed on the Large Format Photography Podcast about three weeks ago, who takes portraits on a process camera with enormous film uh mm-hmm. with the lenses without shutters but he, he has he's got a studio set up where there's is is uh his victim will stand will sit in front of the uh the camera in the pitch dark um he would then take the the lens cap off his lens or take the bowler hat off the uh, the front of the camera uh in the dark and then just flash the lights and then put the light back on so um that that way you can just get you don't have to worry about your shutter oh yeah that makes sense yeah that makes total sense um but so if you're going to do it with this lens uh this is the silver one right yes so you can you can also just unscrew the front optical block you were saying yeah that's right yeah oh that's awesome so so if you do do that let me know what size the thread is um because i do i don't know if this is constant among these lenses but just a, a tip because i've been doing this kind of messing around non-stop this lens, this sort of style of adaptation, I find there's two things, two different ways to shoot it. Either you stick it on a helicoid, but chances are the focusing distance will be too close for most practical uses. Um, but if you if you just stick it directly onto the adapter, uh, then and then you just kind of focus with your feet, you're more likely to get a sort of usable focusing distance if it's too close. Okay. Well, it's uh, round about... So I've got some calipers in front of me, so I can give you the uh, the thread, well, the diameter of uh, the diameter at least anyway. Um, it's the I've, I've got a reading here, thirty-two point two eight millimeters. 
32. Okay, okay. So uh, close to 32.5, which seems yeah, there's quite be, standard for a yeah, lot of these. There's going to be an element of, uh, of tolerance and, um, and bad measurement in that, I'm sure. Okay, is the Pentacon 6 uh, flange distance shorter than Pentax 6 7? Um, I think in theory it probably will be. Okay, yeah. If if so, you might you might get a better sort of focusing distance or range with. Uh, Actually, no. It's not going to make any difference because it's going to work off the vertical plane anyway, isn't it? The the width is is more to do with the image circle, whereas you've you've got the six centimeters. Well, it's actually less than that, isn't it? Um, yeah. On on the vertical side, so it makes no difference, but does it? Not in terms of coverage. I'm just thinking in terms of like the focusing. Well, yeah, but it's um, going to be the same, isn't it? I would have thought. Well, no, but but a ninety ninety well a ninety millimeter lens is going to be focused in the same position, whether it goes on to six by seven or six by six. It'll be yes, 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 yeah, yes. But the the furthest I can get with the Elmar on my Pentax six seven um, is like around two meters. But if if I could get the lens physically closer to the film plane, um, then it would focus further out. But the reason I can't is because it would literally be inside the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm just saying, like, if, if the flange distance is shorter, you might have a little more distance to move the lens backwards. Yeah, I, I, I still get the feeling it won't be any different. Um, there'll be, I mean, there's going to be a difference in actual true, true flange, but, in but the mirror is going to be effectively in the same place, isn't it? It's because the, the mirror is going to be, it won't be as wide as the one on, on your 6.7, but the depth of it is still going to be the same. And that's the bit that flaps up and down, isn't it? So that's the bit that's going to hit the back of the lens, I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. Th yeah, okay. I mean, does that have to be constant? Don't know. I have no idea. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this is the bit where people are shouting at us now uh, for being idiots. Uh, yeah. so. Do SLR lenses have to have the same amount of space for the mirror? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, well, actually, no, there is, there is... Well, there's definitely variation in that, isn't there? Because some, some cameras, when you uh, adapt to... Uh, a lens to say a, a Canon EOS camera some lenses um, I'm talking uh, DSLR now some some lenses have bits that stick out the back of them that hit the mirror and yep. and some don't and and you can use them on different cameras and things so I think there's I think there is some variation in, in it's probably more to do with just the design of how the the mirror goes up and down and how it how it clears yeah, um, you know, and if, I suppose if there's a housing around the bottom of the mirror, then that could be the bit that that might be hitting something. Where if the if the mirror hasn't got a housing at the bottom of it, it might just clear it. Uh, but the actual position of the mirror is going to be in the same place. I would have thought, relatively speaking. I just thought I'd add that in as a caveat. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds clever, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's probably close. Uh, so, someone who knows about this stuff. Email us and let yeah, us know. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Where's, where's Johnny now? <laughs> Johnny. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we'll, just, we'll force him to. We'll force him to listen to it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I. I think we All should. Right. We should. We should move on before we dig ourselves. Yeah. Any other. There was actually some advice that uh, I can't. I can't remember who gave it. Actually, I think it was Andrew. Oh, Andrew Lawson is his name, um, who usually gives me a hard time on uh, Facebook. Who's probably <laughs> he's 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 probably switched off by now. Actually, um, <laughs> he's throwing stuff around the house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I apologize, apologize in advance. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, stop digging uh, the holes. 
S. Benjamin Farrar. I'm not sure we answered uh, your question, um, but certainly this uh, this is something we may come back to uh, yeah. as well. I, I was going to say, it was quite deliberate that we didn't answer the question there, on well, my part anyway, because um, it's something that we need. Uh, it, it, it's a, I think it's a, it's a bigger it's a it's a bigger subject which is you know what this is all about so uh, mm-hmm. it might well be something that we we, we come back to and, and revisit yeah okay so moving on uh this is a question from stylist uh so this is definitely one we will have to come back to uh having read this in advance uh and it says Hello to Perry, Johnny, and the one with the funny accent. Uh, I know you've put a shout out for content from your listeners, but in case their days are as action-packed as your own at the moment, I thought I'd turn your request around a little and give you three a challenge. Uh, Mission. Look into, if you haven't already, the history of lens design with regard to the lens designers themselves and provide a five-minute oral argument on which designer is slash was your favorite and why. Then should, uh, There should then follow two minutes of questions from the other two on the argument you put forward. You can argue amongst yourselves who provided the best argument slash designer at the end, or hand it over to listeners to vote on. I think it would be much more fun to listen to Johnny and Simon trying to even win a single point from Perry. Sorry, Perry, <laughs> smiley face. I'll stick a few quid in your pot if you do it. Uh, slant Mahor Silist. So that sign off is either, I'm guessing, Gaelic or Pimp Speak. I think that's Gaelic, I think, or Gaelic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, first of all, Silist, it will definitely have to come back to this one. Uh, but, you know, Simon, we cannot do that format that he proposes because that's essentially my day job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what I do for a living. So, no, no, no. No, no, no formal presentation argumentative format please but definitely a cool discussion idea mm, mm, that is, is it is a good night i mean i can't um I, I, to be fair i is I'd, I'd struggle with this one anyway just as you know, because I, I don't have favorite designers as such i've, ne- I've never really gone down uh, down down that rabbit hole if if you'll if you like and done done the whole history of things like that that's uh, that's something where um cheyenne morrison yeah um and uh i mean that actually might be a, an interesting one if there if there's some there is there are certain people that we we know and we've talked to and they've been guests that definitely probably do have viewpoints on on designers and mm-hmm. uh and and things going on at that time so that, that might be something for the back burner actually because we might might be able to do something with that but um yeah i, I can see cheyenne having some strong strong opinions and i think i've got one or two other people in my head that uh, may have something on there so that, that that could be an interesting uh take uh for going forward but i don't think that's going to happen like immediately but i think that's definitely one for the back burner yeah yeah we can get cheyenne and someone else to just argue it out and we'll sit back and exactly relax yeah sounds good <laughs> All right, uh, so thank you for that question, Silist. Moving on. This next one is from Grizz Whitlib. Uh, Its subject is number 111. I think this is less a question and just uh, a series of comments on recent episodes. And they are not written in uh, entirely complete sentences. Hi, all. I was just just going to say, hello, Grizz. Um, (laughs) In particular, I'm saying that because uh, Grizz is one of the uh, administrators in the Photography with Classic Lenses uh, Facebook group. So I'll just Ah, throw that in there as well. Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, 
Um, is he in Canada by any chance? She is. Oh, she. My bad. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta stop assuming that people who are into classic lenses with ambiguous names are automatically male. It's such a bad yeah. habit. Yeah, w- women do uh, photography too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, okay, so from Grizz. Hi, all. Just listened to number 111 and didn't fall asleep. So sorry to hear that you're sick, Johnny. However, very pleased that you took a camera with you to the hospital. Never leave the house without one, not like the UK guy with planned photo shoots. (laughs) Uh, Liked the conversation regarding Robbie J's color dilemma. Never thought about the muted color look, even though I tend to like it. Always like Fleck. I assume she means Flectagon. Uh, is that the European old world look I like? We'll have to check it out. Sharp edges on flat field. Okay, that's why it looks so good. Uh, Perry, I agree. Documenting this time is relevant. Itching to do it. However, have been isolating because I could be in the susceptible group. It's a $750 fine here. CDN, which I take it to mean Canadian dollars. Oh, that is a massive fine. Yeah. Um, wow. I found a photo of you yesterday, Chicago. And knew I had to seek you out to see what was up. Please take care. Namaste. All the best. Grizz Whitlib. Yeah. Great to hear from you, Grizz. Yeah. Thank you for that email. Uh, cool. That's, that's good stuff. That, that, that's a huge fine. Sorry. This yeah. is the first I've heard of um, the size of a fine for going outside. And, I mean, you know, we, we don't want to be talking corona and stuff, but... There's no fine here in Hong Kong uh, for going outside because we haven't been on lockdown. But do you guys get fined for going outside too? Uh, can do, yeah. Um, and they've they've definitely been issuing them. I think several thousand fines have been issued, and uh, and it it keeps on climbing apparently. And uh, I don't even think it's 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 limited. Um, right, it doubles every single time, right? Prob- almost certainly, yeah. Oof, that's rough. Mm. Okay. Um, anything to say on this email other than uh, thank you? No, that's that, that's it. They were uh, all well-made points and succinct. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the muted color look um, is definitely something that I'm seeing on a lot of these old uh, lenses that I'm putting on Pentax 6.7 for sure. Uh, and it's very nice. Okay, uh, moving on. I think this is one you forwarded me uh, in, right, just, yeah. in a conversation from Robbie, uh, with Robbie J, right? Correct. Okay. So that's the, the saviour, also known as Robbie J. Yes. <laughs> St. Robbie with his uh, sonar shirt. That's, that's absolutely right. And just, just to f- explain what we're talking about there, um, uh, Robbie has uh, been helping Johnny out, uh, dropping some groceries off and, uh, and generally helping, helping poor Johnny uh, uh, manage. So um, thank you very, very much for that, Robbie. And uh, really good of you. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, So Robbie says, random thought for podcast topic, stuff to talk about while we're all stuck at home. What about photo books? They're surprisingly cheap on eBay and from booksellers at times. I picked up two Vivian Meyer books and a Jeff Bridges Wide Lux book used for next to nothing last year, and they're wonderful things to have. Just a thought, uh, but it's always great to hear you guys talk about photographers you love, like when Johnny talks about Barbara Crane or when Perry talks about Fan Ho. Random thought. Hope all is well with you and yours. Stay safe and be like Carl, Robbie. Yeah. Um, well, I've I've got to say I'm I'm not really uh, that much of a uh, photo book person. Um, 
I'm not entirely sure why, really. Um, it's it's not quite the same situation with with, with Johnny, but um, yeah, it's 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 a puzzling one for me there. But I, I do have a a photo book uh, that uh, Chris Holland uh, sent through to me, uh, and I mentioned it on a on a podcast a few weeks few weeks back, I think, um, and it's called The Unknown Spain, and it's uh, a German photographer, um, I think possibly between between the wars in the early 20th century um, documenting uh, areas of Spain where um, you know out there was like rural Spain and 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 things like that and uh, you know so some of the places are still there and uh, and some of the and but lots of the things that were captured are just simply not you know some of the older ways of life and the older ways of dressing and, and things like that and um, yeah that's an absolutely uh, fascinating book and actually Chris has uh, put a lot of work into putting that uh, photo book online uh, and there's a website called the Heischler Photo Project that's Heischler is uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly is H-I no yeah H-I-E <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's my dyslexia I can't even spell um, I can't even read letters out uh, with, with, with confidence so it's uh, H-I-E-L-S-C-H-E-R photo project um, and it's uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to google that and we'll put a link in with, in with the notes um, which you can also get those those links not only off uh, uh, the Facebook page but you can go on, to, on classic lenses dot uh, classiclensespodcast.com our site you can get the uh, uh, the notes there so the link will be there and uh, yeah that's it it was between 1914 to 18 actually um, and uh, yeah it's a it's a it's a fascinating fascinating book so um, head over to that uh, to, to the website there and you can learn a bit more about it but other than that that's that's almost my entire knowledge of photo books done yeah, I, I have a bit more time for them. Um, I mean, I don't look at them all the time, but I do have a, a decent collection. And I will flip through them quite every now and then for inspiration or just just because I enjoy looking at photographs. Um, I think most of mine are, the, the ones I have are fairly well-known photo books. Uh, but yeah, obviously Fan Ho, his entire collection, I'm a massive uh, fan of, no, yeah. uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that i think um one that immediately jumps to mind that i absolutely adore uh is genesis by sebastiao salgado um which is just i mean it's massive this book and it's heavy and it's one that you just kind of sit down and flip through but it's incredibly diverse uh it's got everything from you know documentary photos of of tribes uh, and, you know, atrocities throughout human history to life, uh, to like seals and wildlife and things like that. It's a spectacular book. Um, that's one of my favorites of all time because I think it's just an unbelievable masterpiece. Um, so, I mean, there's more, but if I had to pick favorites, that would really be super high up on the list. Yeah. And other than that, uh, I mean, it's not a photo book, but recently... Uh, Mike Epstein drew me uh, drew my attention to a Netflix documentary. Um, it, it's part of a, a series of documentaries they did on the art of design or something like that. But it's a documentary about Platon, uh, the sort of famous photographer who does all those profiles, all, all those portraits of world leaders and celebrities and things like that. And 
it, it was just a fascinating documentary to watch about his process. Uh, and he still shoots film um, exclusively, which is awesome. And, you know, he it, it looks at the way that he shoots and kind of tries to distill the soul of his subject into his images. And definitely after watching that documentary, I got super inspired. Uh, so I went and took some portraits of my cat in that style to try to capture, <laughs> you know, he, he did Obama and Vladimir Putin and Gaddafi, but I was going to try to get the same kind of intensity in my cat's eyes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I did, um, I, I touched upon uh, Johnny, Johnny's, uh, what we remember, what, what we remember of Johnny's uh, views on photo books, but he, he spoke about it relatively recently and, uh, mm-hmm. and that he, he doesn't, he, he, does he actively avoid photo books? Was that, was that what it was? Yeah, he, he said something like he doesn't want any photographer um, influencing him when he shoots because he doesn't want that thought process of emulating uh, another photographer's photo to go through his mind when he's photographing. So, so do you think that that's, that's down to, you know, he doesn't want his genius diluted? Is, is, that, is that what he's saying? Oh, that's 100% it, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. that's, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> yeah, he never wants to be accused of uh, derivative work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, I have no problem with that. I will see a photo by Fan Ho and literally go out and look for the closest thing to a modern-day version of that shot and just go for it. Yeah, I, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. I'm, I mean, I, I don't... I've, I'm not. I'm probably not. I'm not particularly interested in exactly copying a photograph, but certainly uh, there mm. are, you can. I, I'm, I'm really guilty of actually being influenced by people for a, a relatively short period of time, and thinking that and and wanting to wanting to do those those things, and then and then I've within like about a week I've completely forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it. What what I find is. Um, from the work of photographers that I really like, I, I find that I will very consciously take on board things about their approach or their yes. way of looking at photography that I really, really appreciate. So, for example, you know, Fan Ho changed the way that I looked at Hong Kong, but he also, I think more than any other photographer, made me appreciate hard light in a city um, and just using hard shadows uh, as sort of compositional shapes, which... I, I can credit that almost entirely to his influence. Um, and even this recent documentary I watched on Platon, I think looking at his process of making portraits, he has two assistants with him at all times who are um, metering off the subject and, you know, changing his film uh, on his Hasselblad or his Leica. And they're basically adjusting the aperture and doing all the technical stuff because he is a hundred percent focused on building a connection with the subject and like, trying to press the shutter at that very moment that he thinks their face is telling their story. And it's magical watching that. And I think having watched that documentary, um, it it really resonates with me, the idea that that's the essence of good portraiture. When you kind of look into the eyes of the subject and you feel what they're feeling and you, you connect with the eyes or whatever. um, I think that, you know, technical stuff aside, that aspect of it really resonates. So, I'm definitely like more conscious of that now, having watched this documentary. When I, whenever I'm shooting in a subject that's just one person, or in recent cases, uh, one cat. Yeah, I mean, just listening to you talking about that, I then immediately my mind started to go back to um, when we had Isabel Cuades 
mm-hmm. on the show, and uh, and she was doing well. She's an incredible photographer and artist in general, um, and she was doing some amazing things with just uh, with adapting bits of glass in front of her lenses and, and doing doing wacky things and so on. Um, but it's not. It wasn't just a matter of uh, of coming up with. Um, interesting equipment to take a photograph with you know she was still seeing the interesting in in relatively mundane things Mm -hmm. and uh and and when you start talking about you know you're just talking about fan ho there and i've got a vision in my head what that looks like and thinking oh that's good and i think oh that's it's it's about it's about inspiration sometimes isn't it you're not necessarily going to try and uh recreate the same photograph but you you can sort of put try and put yourself in the mindset of of somebody that you admire yeah and and then think, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to do, in this case, what, what Isabel can do. And not just because I haven't got the equipment, I just haven't got the talent either. But mm-hmm. I can potentially find something of interest. And this is actually getting me going right right now. So I'm thinking, well, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are things in this house or in the garden I know that she could make an absolutely incredible photograph with. And... I perhaps just need to try a little bit harder to actually find that that detailed item to, and and experiment and do something. You know, it gives you that reason to go out and actually take some photographs in the first place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's 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 interesting because I was talking to Robbie J about this since this is his question uh, over the last couple of weeks, and we were talking about how certainly he did. And I, I definitely feel this too, had a certain reticence, uh, reluctance to take and certainly share photographs of, you know, our homes, our loved ones, uh, our pets and things like that. And it's occurred to me that I don't, I don't think that I've made any portraits of people who are close to me that I think are really, really strong photographs. You know, some I think are, are quite nice and I like them. But now I'm just thinking out loud here, like surely if I can't capture, you know, uh, a strong portrait of someone who I know really, really well, um, what hope have I got doing that on the street with random strangers? So yeah, I'm just kind of thinking out loud now in terms of how to um, how to almost make the most of this uh, this this lockdown time and uh, try to work on some of those skills because you're right. You know, what you were saying earlier, replicating an individual shot carries no interest. Like, you know, those shots that everyone has taken of horseshoe Canyon um, or, you know, even the, the plug hole that you talk about in Stoke, there are some photographs. That- <laughs> it's, I was going to say there are plug holes in Stoke, but not that. That wasn't the one. Uh, that's another story. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there's some photographs that, that have been, shot over and over and over again, right? We have plenty of them in Hong Kong of certain buildings or certain skyline scenes. And yeah, I have no interest in replicating those shots, but this thing that we're discussing right now of kind of sort of taking those elements of inspiration in terms of whether how whether it's how a photographer thinks or the kinds of elements that they look for uh, in terms of creating an image, yeah, that I, I think it's great to look to those for inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Cool. So thank you, Robbie J., uh, for that question. And moving on, uh, we have an email sent by Chris Holland, uh, subject classic lens buying guide and checklist. And he sent this. Oh, he sent this on my birthday. 
uh, April 12th, 2020. And Chris says, hi, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. Is my classic lens buying guide and checklist complete and correct in your view? And then there's a link. Uh, please let me know. Kind regards, Chris. You will get a wet-on-wet wet bouquet only with a Raynox classic lens. Uh, <laughs> is, is sign off. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, Chris is so, quite infamous um, for introducing the concept of wet-on-wet wet bokeh, and uh, and and that's that's a good reminder actually that uh, you can you can win a Raynox wet-on-wet. Wet, Don't actually say this on the label, by the way. Uh, a Raynox wet-on-wet. Um, 135 millimeter f 2.8 lens um, if you uh, take a video of yourself drinking uh, some Jepson's Belort knocking it back um, and the bottle needs to be opened in front of us so we know that you haven't just put urine in there which is probably easiest to drink um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and say something about the classic lenses podcast and uh, we'll send it in and uh, well you can send it into us and we'll put it onto our youtube and and once we've got at least two of them not even just one person doing this two people got to do it then uh, one person will win uh, somehow uh, this uh, this wet on wet uh, bokeh lens inspired by uh, by chris yeah. Um, so Chris has sent through this link where he goes into quite a lot of detail on uh, things to look out for when you're buying a classic lens. Um, I've read this. Have you? No. And I think we should come back to this uh, for the, exactly that reason, because there's a lot of stuff in here. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. in particular, he has a list of seven questions where he says your answer should be no. And for, for me, I, I'm not that strict i would say on yeah. almost all seven of these my i'm okay with some degree of this yeah 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 it's yeah. it's so, it's a it's pretty rare where where black and white answers truly apply in 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 this subject so uh yeah that that looks like a a good thing for us to go and uh, yeah let's let's well we don't actually know what the next episode is going to be and uh, who's going to be in it when it's going to be uh, but we'll definitely come back to this one and uh, do it some proper justice i would say yep okay that sounds good uh, so watch out for that one, Chris Holland. Thank you for the link. Uh, we will include that link in the show notes, though. Yes. Okay. Um, this one was also sent on my birthday. Uh, subject is Instagram collaboration. Um, I think this one is directed to you, Simon, because this is really not my area of expertise. But here we go. No, I think, actually, you know what? I think it's more for Johnny. Well, I'm, I'm going to read it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon, exclamation mark, smiley face. We are currently searching for creative, modern, and ambitious people for our Instagram collaboration. We need a person who would be interested to get some extra income by promoting our fitness products, workout slash vitamin recovery patches, and uh, I'm not going to read the brand name out, uh, fitness water bottles. Our rate, we pay $100 US per photo, per each photo. And since we need six photos, we will pay in total 600 US dollars for this collaboration project. Would you be interested? Question mark, winky face. If you are interested, please write directly to our Instagram account and our social media manager will explain all the details. Our Instagram account is, I am not going to read that out, but I did go to it and it is no longer uh, in existence. Oh, that's, 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 that's such a shame. I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I was I was really impressed how they they, they worked out the mathematics for us there um, with, between the six th photos. It's a hundred dollars each is six hundred dollars. That that was a, well, 
But, I mean, they really went to the extra effort on that. Um, well, that's just a shame. Um, well, never mind. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll, we'll get another such email uh, that we can, uh, we can do something with and collaborate with that, that Instagram and person and become a, a proper influencer. Yep, yep, yep. Brand managers out there, if you want uh, three, uh, you know, chiseled men to uh, <laughs> to peddle your workout products for money, uh, you know, get in touch. That's it. And uh, payment in advance of the work, please. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. No. No promises of results. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, next message comes. From Juan Suarez. Uh, this was sent on April 13th, Monday. And there's no uh, subject, topics for an episode this week. So uh, Juan says, hi, guys. Since Perry asked, I thought of two topics that I'd love to listen to you discuss in an episode. Number one, Exacta as a system. I bought a Biotar 58mm in exact amount relatively recently. With it came two lenses, uh, the Lithogon 35 3.5, which hasn't impressed me much, and the Tele uh, Enolit 90 f 2.8, which has, to some extent, the size and form factor particularly. I know you discussed exact amount lenses, but I was wondering if you had to shoot exact amount as a system, which lenses would you choose and why? That's the first question. Uh, second question in this email is color editing. I find p- color post-processing very hard to do. I was wondering, what do you do to get the look you want without spending hours in front of your computer? What are your go-to steps when color editing an image? Thanks for doing the podcast. I really appreciate every show. Best wishes, Juan. Hmm. Well, the f- first first thing that com- comes to mind uh, on this, I'm not too sure where um, you are, Perry, and, and Johnny are in terms of ex- exacta systems, uh, certainly from the camera side of things. Um, but um, Perry's nemesis, um, Eric, from from the Through the Lens podcast, who uh, pop also pops up quite regularly on the Sunday 16 podcast. Um, I say nemesis because he, he doesn't think that people should be in street photography. Um, so that, oh, this is the cartographer guy. Exactly. So, and uh, and they, he has a uh, he does a does a podcast which is is very good um, called Through the Lens. Um, so uh, it might be an idea to uh, take a listen to 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 his podcast and drop a question because he uses almost exclusively uh, exact equipment. So um, he will be a very good person to uh, to direct a question to there. Um, Eric and Vanya, that's it. Um, but uh, lenses, yeah, we've already recommended the uh, the the Carl Zeiss seventy five one point five Biotar, which is oh quite my nice. god. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite exacto lens, anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure we can really add add much more to that. Um, as far as on, on lens choice, um, after what we we touched upon a few weeks ago, I don't know. Can you add anything yeah. more to that? Well, I, I've only really recently discovered uh, the intricacies of this system, so I'm still I'm still playing around with exacto lenses. Um, so I haven't actually tried any of the uh, the Enna lenses like that Tele Enolit, but certainly the Schneider Zenons are very solid. Um, the Biotar, obviously, you already have. I would like to try some of the wide angles, uh, both particularly the Ingenue. I think the twenty eight three point five. 
I don't I don't know if it's any good, but it, it has a uh, an interesting history. So I, I want to try it just for that. But uh, no, no, this is not an area that I have. I would say I have a lot of expertise in, but it's definitely an area that I am starting to have fun with. And then, of course, there's the top core stuff um, where I have recently I within the last few months picked up a top core 35 2.8 the Auto, and damn that lens is nice uh so if the other top cores are anything like that lens whoo boy there is definitely a, a world of joy to be had there too yeah i mean the the uh the lithicon 35 3.5 um and the tele enolit uh 92.8 i mean they're both enna lenses mm-hmm. um and I've I've had mixed experiences with the Enna lens Enna lenses. Um I had a beautiful uh looking um one three five three point five was it? With like a, a ridiculously long uh, minimum focus distance on it. Um and I I didn't really get anything out of that lens that I was particularly happy with at the at the time. Um but I've tried a couple of lithogons and I've been impressed with those. Every time I've um played with the lithogon it's, it's been good and um and actually only this week cheyenne morrison has uh, put uh, posted something in our um the classic lenses uh so no yeah class, what's our what's our group called classic lenses podcast uh facebook that's right and, uh, and he's uh, he's he's been doing some uh, digging on the on the lithogon lenses it's an ultra lithogon that he's uh, he's been talking about at the moment which obviously has got to be better if it's ultra I don't know. Probably, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's that's well worth. I mean, he's probably put something out on uh, casual photo file on that because he does a lot of writing for them. So, um, yeah, check out uh, casual photo file and uh, just well type in Cheyenne and you'll see all the articles that he does. And um, and he's definitely got one that he's been talking about the uh, about a particular lithogon and potentially lithogons in general. Uh, yeah, and have you have you tried any of the Shat lenses? <laughs> I've, I've tried plenty of lenses i've not been impressed with but um, <laughs> the uh yeah i'm talking about the uh s-c-h-a-c-h-t oh um, sorry um i think that's not, how you pronounce it right yeah, not, Shat? i'm not even gonna try um but thank you uh or uh, yeah uh, shocked like the, like the tra- shocked yeah that, the, the, the travagon and things like that yeah um i think i've tried a couple of them and um they've not left any kind of lasting memory with me i'm just trying to remember is the the quinn on though is that is that a shock no that's a Ste- that's a steinheil and that steinheil. is nice oh, right okay yeah yeah so yeah i'm confusing the the, the two there no i have not really I've not really come across um, those. They've not really crossed my path, so I can't really give any kind of uh, experiential opinion on those. Yeah. Um, I mean, for exactly, obviously there are some very, uh, like, I don't know what you call them, famous lenses or kind of cult classic lenses or, or lenses that have just a bit of a cult following um, that it would be just kind of remiss of us not to mention, like the Triaplan, right? And the Flectagon. Mm-hmm. Um, the multiple flectagons. I, I don't know. I don't know if any of them are in particular are considered uh, that much better than the others. But the ones I hear about the most are the twenty millimeter, and I guess the uh, the thirty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those obviously come to mind. Um, I mean, just exact. So many lenses were made for exact amount. 
it's such an exciting mount to play with because you know the Steinhag the Steinhag Steinha Quinon you don't see very often, um, but it's a spectacular lens. I, I've had the privilege of playing around with a uh, with it in a shop, um, but I would also want to try like the Pancolars. Yeah, an yeah. exact amount. Yeah, Just, there's uh, so much cool stuff. And and you, I've I've actually got a Star Wars Pancolar at the moment. So uh, what what aperture is that? F two. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's the one I want to try. Mm. Oh, I, might have to, is, I, might, I might have to send it over with my next care package to you. What does it suck? Uh, probably not. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's absolutely fine. And uh, of course, one of the the, the great yeah, the great new advances uh, with uh, exacta lenses is that uh, for quite some time, if you've got an exacta lens, you wouldn't be able to have a lens cap for it unless you'd actually bought a, a uh. one with one um, or you've managed to find a, a period one on, on eBay. Whereas now you can actually go to simonforsterphotographic.co.uk or my eBay page and you can buy one that's been made by my very printer in front of me, which you can possibly even hear at the moment. So, um, so yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's, there's a plug for my lens cap business. <laughs> Yeah, that that sound in the background of this entire episode—that sounds like a bed being rocked back and forth—is uh, definitely Simon's 3D printer and not anything else. Yeah, it's not a knocking shop, no. <laughs> the exacto lens caps are really good, by the way. They they fit so well. Excellent, excellent. I'm I'm, I'm glad yeah. you like that. That's good. From first-hand experience. Okay. All right. Oh, uh, his second part of the question on um, color editing. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to exacto. Uh, any tips on color editing that any pro tips that you have? Are we, are we, I'm I'm not entirely clear on this. Are we, are we talking about uh, film color editing or are we just talking about color in general? You know, for for digital, I'm I'm a little bit lost. It's it's unclear from the question, so I'm gonna assume both. Okay, well, the first, first thing is if you're doing this from digitizing color negatives and things like that uh negative lab pro and lightroom mm. end of story um <laughs> it's it's just fantastic um and yeah. uh and mm, i think i don't really know where to go go with that one um yeah probably perhaps we could have done with just a, a, a smidge more detail there um because ultimately color editing digitally at least is it's it's whatever your taste is really um i suppose the question is if you're not actually achieving what the look that you're trying to achieve then and therefore how do you achieve it well that's even that's a tricky one to answer because we don't know what that look is um so i'm not too sure how where we where we can go with that one in terms of advice yeah that's fair i mean if it's about reducing time spent in front of the computer uh the thing i will spend the most time on is getting the white balance right because if that's right, then everything else looks good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that's. I've got to say that's that's a great tip. There's the the amount of times I've I've just I've forgotten to check my white balance, and then I've just clicked it and thought, oh, that looks so much better. And now I've I need to actually undo a load of the things that I've just done because just by doing white balance has almost completely fixed my in- image. So yeah. Um, so yeah. No, that, that's that's a great thing. I mean, I I do try if 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 lighting is potentially a, a, an issue in the in the image and it can be you know even if you're outside you know if the if the sun is a bit more yellow than than normal and you might not want it that that golden color then that change you know hitting your white balance can make an absolutely enormous difference and a positive one of course it makes things worse as well you know sometimes you think well i know that's 
the white balance that the computer's telling me it should be, or that's what the the um, the camera said it should be. But ultimately, it's your picture. You know, you 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 make the white balance to look the way you want. But I think it's a there's a reason why white balance is right at the top. Um, it's one of the first things you you can do in Lightroom. And that's because it's, it can make such an enormous difference just in one click, and then you can you can you can build on it as you as you go through changing your contrast and your all the other things that you might might want to work with. Yeah, it's always the first thing that I do, um, and you don't have to get it you know sort of scientifically right. Just get it to the look that you want. Yeah. Sometimes I'll deliberately push something warmer or cooler, uh, and I really don't like green casts on my images, so I'm happier to go a little more magenta. Um, or if you have a perfectly neutral thing in your image, you just click on it and you're good to go. But yeah, as you mentioned, I find that just getting that right saves you so much of a headache in dealing with color for everything else. Mm -hmm. Until you have mixed lighting, then that's a pain in the ass. Yeah, Yeah, that's when you go black and white. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, when when I'm shooting CineStill at night um, or if I'm out shooting digital at night, there's a lot of mixed lighting. And in that instance, um, when I'm doing white balance, what I'm looking at is I'm only looking at the skin tones. Yeah, but you you, uh, you like live in Blade Runner world though, don't you? So it yeah. all looks good. That's true. It is one of those areas where you can push like a crazy color cast and it still looks fine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. So in terms of film processing, um, yeah, Negative Lab Pro, it... it I don't know how to get color right on digitizing film. When Johnny gets back, he'll probably have more to say about that, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, thank you for that, Juan. Moving on. Um, So I'm going to do these in the order they were sent. Uh, So I'm going to switch the last two around. Um, The next email was sent by Anu Jindal. uh, He's in New York, uh, and he and I have been chatting a little. Ooh, this is a a beefy email. I really like this email. So let's go in. Let's dive in. Subject, monkeying around with adapting projects. So, hey, gents. Since I've been on coronavirus lockdown, I've had to embark on some projects to keep me occupied, including taking apart and cleaning some lenses, uh, trying my hand at bulk rolling and monkeying around with some lens adaptations and bugging Perry about adapters since there's no little garden here in New York. Uh, one of those projects is looking for a way to take the rear off an Olympus Pen 38 F1.8 and replacing it with a clamp uh, and M39 thread to adapt it to Leica M mount for digital. Another is to try adapting a non-anamorphic Isco Cinelux 120mm f2 projection lens, apparently just a bit nicer in rendering than the Schneider Kreuznach version, to Pentax 6.7, yes, uh, using a Chinese-made Yifeng helicoid and clamps and other bits and pieces from RAF camera. So I've got a few questions here. I know that I should hypothetically be able to reach infinity focus with both of these adaptations, but I'm a bit confused about where one measures lens registration distance from. Uh, The rear element of the lens to the film plane, from the flange to the film plane, knowing where to measure is only meant to give me a ballpark since I'll have to fine-tune the adapters by adjusting the clamp anyway, but it would be a useful ballpark to have. The second question is whether you guys have discussed projection lenses on the podcast before or tried some of these projection lenses out. I was inspired by a post on this blog as well as this guide, and he includes links. 
Beyond those longer Schneider and Isco Cinelux lenses that work for 6x7, I've seen Zeiss and Leica lenses and a ton of others in varying focal lengths and with and without apertures, mostly without. I'd love to hear more about the how, why, and which of adapting projection lenses. Uh, as judging from some of the photos I've seen with these lenses, it's a wild new frontier of gas inducement to embark on. Yes, it is. Uh, a final question on this overlong email. I recently picked up a Hawk Factory helicoid uh, for adapting a Contax G 45mm f2 lens to Leica M mount with rangefinder coupling. Uh, those are cool. At a decent price. Just wondering whether you guys have ever tried one of the Hawks adapters before. I was fascinated by this thread link from a guy who wrote this review uh, on Philip Reeve and figured out a way to adapt a Contax G 28mm f2.8 lens to Sony E and Leica M mount by cannibalizing the lens body of a Minolta Rokor MCPF 55 f1.7. Unfortunately, there's no rangefinder cam, and perhaps it's a bit silly to take a lens from a perfectly fine camera system and adapt it to another camera system, uh, but this coronavirus lockdown has been fueling a desire to tinker around and try out some perhaps inadvisable stuff. Hope this finds you all well, and that goes double for you, Johnny. Lay off the malort. <laughs> Thanks, as ever, for the incredible podcast, especially right now. All the best, Anu Jindal. Whew. That's a great email. So there's so much here, yeah? Yeah. Should we go from the start from the top? I think we should, yeah. Um, real quickly on the uh, – uh, this wasn't a question, but he mentions looking for a way to take the rear off an Olympus Pen 38 1.8 and replacing it with a clamp, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I, I, I've done that. Not the replacement with a clamp, but I've taken the rear off. And I've seen somebody – modify this lens to like an M I was just re-greasing uh, the helicoid but the thing you got to be careful about is when you remove the um, rear mount on the pen f38 1.8 and I assume all their lenses there's a little mechanism in there that controls the uh, aperture and you have to figure out a way to make that still work so you might be better off kind of doing a little bit of metal work here um, rather than trying to look for a clamp replacement because otherwise your aperture probably won't work properly but anyway uh number one infinity where does he measure from mm. i don't know i have no idea yeah okay well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> well at least we're on the same page i think the, the the i think the issue there is like different the way different lenses work i'm i'm guessing because you get somewhere the literally the optical block moves in and out and you get other lenses where you have internal focusing and the real rear element doesn't move at all so but yeah but his question is um hypothetically he should be able to reach infinity focus with the adapters and where does he measure the register distance uh, so if he knows the register distance of the lens right then theoretically the re register distance should be from the flange to the film plane because the flange distance is constant yeah. for every mount, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that would be my educated answer. It can't be from the rear element of the lens. No, it doesn't make because sense. Because you've got, yeah, that it, so it, it must be the flange. Mm. Yeah, that, that's my, that, I, I don't know the answer, but that's my guess. It's, it's as good as I can give anyway. Okay. But I mean, if this is, um, something I've been struggling with with the Pentax 6.7 stuff, and I've just been doing trial trial and error. 
Well, yeah, and I, and I think that's probably the reason why I've not put given it any thought whatsoever, uh, because that's that's the way I would do it. But if you were if you were setting out to do something, get get the theory right first, and there, therefore then ordering some equipment that's going to be suitable and so on, then then I can see the need for or why it would be desirable to understand those, those principles before you set out, rather than just wait for the stuff to turn up. Hold it, hold it at, the, at a certain distance, and think, okay, that's roughly X, and now I've got my now I've got my figures, which is our way of doing it, if you like. Yeah, but I mean, if if he's taking a Penf and this Isco lens, um, and slapping it on a helicoid, then he would need to know the original flange distance, um, and then the flange distance for Pentax six seven and uh, you know, like M mount, which is easy to find online, and then the difference between those two registers is basically going to be the difference you're going to have to make up in your helicoid build. But then it depends on whether or not you're taking stuff off. So like if, he, if he's taking the rear off of the Olympus Pen 38 1.8, then whatever the size of his M39 thread is uh, needs to account for the, the placement of that flange, right? So it, it's got to be the flange. I'm, I'm going to stick by that answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, the second question about projection lenses. Uh, I haven't used many, although I have seen people using these crazy ISCO uh, lenses on 6x7 on Pentax 6.7, and they look really good. But I think you have a lot more experience with projection lenses. Yeah, I think I went through a phase. I'm just digging out my projection lenses now. Uh, so I've got, I've got three of them uh, in front of me. Um, and I really, really wish I'd kept hold of... Um, I found about three of three of them. They were like coming. They were they were coming to me so often. I was thinking, oh, I'll just pick another one up, and I've not seen one for a year. Um, and the plus the prices have gone up stupidly on them as well. And that's the the, the lights. Uh, I think they're 150 mil 2.8 Elmerons. I think they. Are, I think that's what it what it is. And they, you know, it's a big chunky lens. Um, mm. Because and I think there are different there are different Elmerons as well. But so I've got another one in front of me now, which is a, a 100 millimeter f 2.8, and it's clearly that's for 35 millimeter use. Whereas I think these others are medium format uh, uh, lenses, and uh, you know they're big, big, fat, chunky things. Um, but yeah, they they're not they're not heavy. Um, they they they're pretty lightweight. For you look at them, you think that's gonna that's gonna weigh a ton, um, but they don't. But they they give a rendering which is really really nice. Uh, um, and and certainly you're you're gonna you're gonna have to, I'm gonna use the the bokeh word now. Um, no uftar, we say uftar, don't we? Um, and <laughs> um, actually, and John has come up with another word which he's not here, so we're not gonna use that word. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway that they yeah, that that's uh, that that will wait for a future episode um and um yeah so the bokeh is is really really interesting um and sharpness is is something that you don't particularly uh, get as a uh, feature of these 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 lenses but there, there's a there's a there's a lovely transition between what's nearly sharp and what isn't sharp and um and you get generally a painterly look out of them um, but they, some are trickier to, to adapt than others. Um, I mean, the first projection lens I, I ever adapted was a uh, Emile Bouche. I think that's the correct pronunciation. If not, so mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, but it's a, a Neo Kino uh, projection lens. 
and it's a it's a triplet uh, formulation. I know this because you can just unscrew it and clean the elements and put them put them back in uh, really you know with you know without any tools. Um, and this was a lens that um, I just actually had and didn't even know what it was, and I was using it as a magnifying glass. And um, I thought, well, I'd stick it in front of the in front of the uh, my camera, and I was blown away uh, by the, by the looks of them. And, and I, I tried to do some digging on the lens, and it, it's you know turn of the century stuff, yeah. So it's maybe you know it's hundred maybe one hundred and twenty years old, some something like that. And it's still actually capable of producing the sharp image, but the, it's just right in the center, and then it and it just goes off. Um, it doesn't go into a swirl or anything like that, um, but it's it gives a, a a beautiful effect. And and as far as adapting them, um, I would use a seventeen to thirty one um, uh, helicoid ad adapter, and I would just pack it out. Um, I get some foam or uh, some like closed closed. Uh, closed what's a phrase um a closed bubble that's not quite how it, how it is but uh yeah so you, you get some get some den relatively dense foam wrap it around uh the, the lens and uh pop it into the helicoid and hopefully you can keep it reasonably straight uh, because you know ideally you want it to be perpendicular to the film plane and that, which is quite tricky to do it in the in the math method that i've just said there but to some degree it doesn't really matter it's just like a, a, a more secure way of free lensing um so um that that helps with the look of them but um but that's that's generally the way that i i adapt these things uh, and if they don't go inside a helicoid i'll sellotape them to the outside of a, of a helicoid like the um the elmeron I, I mentioned earlier but the last um uh, projection lens that i purchased um i thought oh that's that sounds good because it's a meopter um meostigmat um lens and it's a 50 millimeter f1 and i've seen some great photographs from from some of these myopter lenses so these super fast and large uh, uh, projection lenses mm -hmm. and i thought i'll get i'll get this one because it was on at a good price and i then got it and realized i i i could not easily adapt this lens uh, at all uh, to my camera and this is this is a an issue that you're going to in you're going to encounter if you're just buying these lenses uh without going into the detail first and sometimes you have no choice because you can't find any detail about them so you've just got to take a punt on them um but this is designed to sit much much closer to the <clears throat> to the uh to the sensor to the film plane whatever uh, for you to get any kind of usability out of it and it's a really f the back of the lens is very very fat um and it's too wide to actually go through the throat of the mount on my on my sony mm. so uh um i haven't actually worked out how to actually get this to to mount on my camera without taking it to a machine shop and get them to grind the back of it down which is apparently exactly what 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 people do to make this camera uh, make this lens um fit uh fit a sony uh so instead of the sony you could you could theoretically put this on your uh, six by six, right? Uh, no, because you've still got. Well, yes, no, no, I couldn't. No, because it's uh, this. It, it needs to sit virtually on the on the film plane. So the mirror. Oh, so the mirror. <clears throat> gotcha. So that one wouldn't be a great choice. No, but the um, the Schneider lenses that he mentions, they they definitely work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But so, yeah, so are good fun to be had. That's 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 my main takeaway on these. So these, in fact, I've now I've got them out. I'm actually 
give a go and let's give one a go now. Yeah, they're, they're definitely. I mean, all you got to do is find a way to. I use tape on the ones that I've used. Um, it's just about finding a way to get it onto the helicoid or even the camera if you want to focus with your feet. Because uh, especially the ones with no aperture, they tend to do funky things. But do do all of them sit that close? Like, do you have any that would work on six by six? Well, I'd imagine those those uh, medium format ones I was talking about earlier. They'll probably mm. do. It. <clears throat> um, I don't know if this ninety mil will would 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 do that. Possibly, uh, it's probably worth giving it a go. But the, that that I was going to say that's I just remembered. I actually this with the um, I think it was with the the lights. Yeah, this this ninety mil Elmeron. Um, I went around the garden chasing insects in flight and actually managed to get some photographs with it. So, you know, Whoa. Yeah. so it's a case of, yeah, focusing with your feet. You can do lots of things with focusing with your feet, including capture insects in flight. <laughs> so it's just about having the time and uh, a lot of us have plenty of time at the moment. So uh, get out there and catch some hoverflies, which is certainly in my part of the world, there's plenty of hoverflies out there at the moment. Yep. Yep. I, it's, it's surprising, you know, um, with the lights, nine centimeter F4 Elmar on my Pentax 6.7, that's one of the only times I've had to use, um, you know, feed focusing, like moving around. And it's, it's really not that big of a deal. It works fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want you don't want to be doing a, you know, serious shooting like that or serious portraiture. Just like, just, just stand right there. I'm just going to move around until everything looks right. Yeah. Um, but but it works. Yeah, but you can with with the ones where you can actually set it up with a helicoid though. Um, you can absolutely do serious work with it because it just works exactly the same way as a normal lens, except you haven't got an aperture to play with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Oh, and also um, there are some with weird shaped apertures, right? Sorry, I was I just went away coughing. Then I just uh, sorry. What was your question there? There are a couple of projector lenses that have really strange aperture, strange shaped apertures on them as well, right? That's that's news to me. Or am I thinking of enlarger lenses? Like there, there's, I'm thinking specifically of Ricardo tried to get me to use a square bokeh lens. Yeah, that was an, that was an enlarger lens. That was okay. a, uh, one, That was one of the, the the Snyder lenses. Right. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Um. And then the third part of the question is this Hawks Factory thing. Have you ever tried one of these? Never heard of it. Okay. So Hawks Factory uh, is a sort of boutique manufacturer based in Taiwan. Uh, and they make a couple of things um, for doing these kinds of crazy helicoid adaptations. But primarily, um, they make stuff for putting things on Leica M that that shouldn't. Uh the Contax G mod is pretty popular in Hong Kong, but um, and the, the Hawks Factory helicoid is really nice, but you have to do it yourself. So basically what you do is you buy this kit, which then walks you through how to take apart your Contax G lens and then reassemble the optics onto the Hawks Factory adapter. If you manage to do it correctly, uh, it works fine. It works great. But it's not as easy as it well, it's not easy. It's not easy as easy as it looks because I know, I've heard stories of some people really struggling to get uh, the focusing correct, whether it's getting infinity correct or getting the uh, the cam to work. So, like, just understand that you're basically going to have to calibrate the lens yourself with the. Um, I think they provide you with. Uh, I'm blanking right now. Um, what are those spacers within lenses called? Shims. Uh, play, 
Yeah, the shims. So you, I, I'd have to play around with the shims that they provided um, or something else. So it, it's one of those things where I wouldn't do it on a fresh lens, like Anu is saying in his email. I think the best candidate uh, is to find a Contax G lens where the autofocus system is dead, but the but the optics are fine. Those are the best candidates. Um, or alternatively, uh, there are quite a few custom mods um, of Contax G lenses modified to Leica M, either by Miyazaki uh, or there's a few other people in Taiwan who do it. And I have one of their mods of the 35, and it is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning, and I think it's much nicer than the Hawks Factory. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you're bored at home and this is the kind of thing you're into, I, I, I would be very reluctant to kill a good Contax G lens because you can totally find cheap ones with good glass and just broken autofocus systems. They're, they're, they're pretty common, I would say. Mm. I, I've, yeah. I've, the, the, the thought of uh, break, breaking Contax G lenses full stop uh, is, is something I'm not entirely comfortable with, but there you go. If, if it is broken then, then in the first place, then, then fair enough. But if it's not, it belongs on a Contax G camera and that's all there is to it. Um, or you adapt yeah. it to a mirrorless, of course, without breaking Well, I, I think, you know, here in Hong Kong, this kind of thing is much more common, I think, than it would be um, in, you know, outside. Because, like, this is sort of taking a, 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 the optics out of a lens that's perfectly fine and then sticking it in a better mount I think there are two worlds that are perfectly comfortable with that. Either you're, you're crazy people here in Hong Kong who do it all the time, or the world of cinema, you know, they, they're constantly ripping optics out and rehousing them for REPL and things like that. So, you know, I, I, there, on the one hand, I can understand the element of like, oh, you're a heathen if you're doing that. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, the, the movie folks do it all the time, so I don't really see anything wrong with it. If if you have a lens that you want to use on a certain system, especially if you can get it to rangefinder couple for like a M like that's so sweet. I would, I would totally do it. Mm. <laughs> I, I have quite a few lenses that are like that. I mean, my 51.4 biotar, right. Originally was for some weird super 16, uh, movie camera. It has been cannibalized and, um, mounted on like a M with, a. Uh, very very accurate rangefinder focusing which I, I love i think that's awesome and i i've seen people just do this recently more and more in hong kong with all kinds of weird stuff uh primarily being adapted to like m but also just being put on other random mounts or housing you know how people take like old soviet lenses and they shove the optics of something better inside it's the same concept hmm. yeah i think i think it's 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 i think there's uh a lot of it is going to depend on what what the the donor system you know is it is it uh, a system yes. where there is actually probably you know more lenses than the ever actually going to be ever used again on the original system in that case i probably wouldn't have any any kind of problem and of course the other i suppose you know i mean i i love the contacts g system um and uh, and that's probably where my, my where my prejudice is, is is coming from. There, in fact, that's exactly where my prejudice is is, is coming from. But note, I've 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 not cried for the fact that um, a a Minolta lens was it, it had to be killed um, to make this happen, and that, that appears to be not giving me any problems whatsoever. So there's a bit of right. hypocrisy going on there, I which I've got to admit to. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at at some point, the the contacts G cameras will all die, 
and I think when that happens, then I'll have less of a problem with it. But um, at the moment, there's enough enough good cameras out there, um, and things. It, it, it's it's that thing as well, isn't it, about what this does to the second hand market, and it, it makes it it makes it increasingly difficult to find certain lenses at a sensible price uh, because a lot of these lenses are being effectively taken away from the native market. Yes, that's true. I don't know how big that market is, but um, for a little bit of a glimpse, I've noticed here in Hong Kong over the last, I don't know, a couple of months, I guess it, it, it seems to correspond with this coronavirus uh, slowdown. I have seen an increasing number of these kinds of weird mods, and they seem to come in three forms. Either this sort of thing that Anu is talking about, where a perfectly normal lens is being ripped from one system and put on another system that the user wants to shoot on, or a little bit more common are either taking them from like fixed lens cameras. The the Aries Coral 45mm f1.0 whatever seems very, very popular for this right now, too. Uh, but also those more exotic... Um, lenses like the Woolensack Fastax Raptors, the Kinoptic Apochromats and things like that. I've seen quite a lot of those uh, and Cookspeak Pancros um, being rehoused onto what looks suspiciously like dead Sumacrons even. Uh, or <laughs> like, you know, the where, where the housing of the, the lens looks really, really familiar uh, and they just put a much more exotic and, and believe it or not expensive chunk of glass in there. Yeah. So I think this is on the increase, and I, I can totally understand why this instinct that Anu was talking about right now. I, I've totally got it. Actually, just yeah. one one other thing to mention on that, where uh, at the top of this, where it's described as monkeying around with uh, adapting uh, projects, uh, we we use the phrase "dicking around" uh, on this yes. on this podcast. Please, thank you. <laughs> Gear acquisition monkeys dicking around. That's it. Not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, so thank you for that, uh, Anu. That's a great email. Um, and then I think we have one more. Yes. Uh, CLP sending some good cheer. And this is from Gary Florchak. Florchak. Easy for you to say. Florchak. I think I think that that yeah it's like that's a Eastern European name right yes. yeah okay anyway it's it's a C and a Z so I'm gonna pronounce it Chuck so um, Gary says greetings from Chicago to the Classic Lenses crew uh, I hope this message finds you all healthy and not too stir crazy during these isolated times I have been meaning to write to you and express my gratitude uh, for the weekly usually entertainment. I discovered the podcast last spring when I rediscovered a passion for photography and have made my way through the majority of the back catalog. The banter is easy, and I typically find myself grabbing a pen to jot down a note or two as you make recommendations and fueling the gas struggle. Your podcast has always been a positive outlet for me, and I thank you for bringing a little more cheer to the world. Last episode, you asked for potential conversation topics, and through the wonder of podcast magic, I think listeners feel as if they know the presenters. But I thought it might be interesting to delve a little deeper into some of your interests outside of photography and speak about how they may inform your image creation. As an example, I have a passion for architecture. I tend to take a good number of building photos and have found joy in discovering faces in facades. 
whether it be in the layout of the major elements, doors slash windows, or the details, lighting slash ornament, I'm often surprised at the amount of eyes and mouths that one can see. Keep up the great work. I look forward to continued listening and to all the interesting places the Classic Lenses podcast will go in the future. My very best regards, Gary Florchak. Uh, P.S. An extra thanks to Johnny for helping me out with Nikon Series E lenses and explaining the difference between Canon and Nikon rangefinders. The reopening of Central Camera Co. and the city uh, cannot come soon enough. So that is from Gary Florchak, who is Anagram of Grey on Instagram. Thanks for that, Gary. That's a nice, that's a nice one. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for, that, for that, Gary. Ooh, so interest outside of photography and how they inform your image creation. Well, Simon, you've been taking a lot of pictures of 3D printed stuff lately. <laughs> I was going to say, this is this, is this the bit where I, could, I start talking about lens caps? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think a few people are going to hunt you down if you do that again. Yeah, okay. No, no more lens, ta- lens, lens cap talk. Um, uh, oof. That's... Uh, that could take a long time, can't it? I, I think that's uh, this is going to have to go under that category of we should come back to this um, because I, I think there's the, there are quite a lot of influ- we've all had influences and um, and I think I think that's this is quite a meaty subject. Um, yeah, so I, I want to park that one and um, and I think that we need to put that on the list of things that uh, we, we, we talk about at some point and it may be a case that we uh, we don't all three of us uh, answer that question at a time it might be one of us might might talk about it and then we talk about something else in that episode um, and we sort of do it as a bit of a series or something like that because um, I think there's going to be some interesting things that, that can come out of that <laughs> I I think I can answer this right now real quick because I, I don't th- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and maybe it's just I haven't thought about or reflected on this that much, but I, I don't think my interest outside of photography inform my image creation. Um, I mean, I, I try to keep different aspects of my life relatively segmented anyway, um, not for any particular reason, but like the things that I, the other hobbies I have, I've never been interested in photographing them and I've never thought about them while I've been doing photography. Uh, And even like academic or professional interests, there's like no overlap for me. So I, I, the things that inspire me to shoot have nothing to do with other things in my life, if I'm totally honest. Right. Yeah. I think, I think there might be more there than you think. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And um, because it's sometimes it's about you, you, about how you, you, how your state of mind works and uh, oh yeah yeah and and so on so absolutely uh, but but those are two different things right because i think you know my surroundings and the context and my state of mind and the way that i look at the world those absolutely inform the way that i shoot um but my but the email talks about sort of interests outside of photography and i get i get what he's saying you know he loves architecture so he's shooting architecture that totally makes sense Hmm. but i i don't love people on the street (laughs) but i i I love doing street photography, but the things I enjoy, you know, I, I'm obsessed with fishing. I, I'm completely obsessed with fishing, but I, I have no interest in photographing okay. fishing. Yeah. 
Well, like, right. N- nor has fishing ever informed my thought process when I'm shooting. Well, in in in, in that case, I will answer this now. Then, just because it's, yeah. it, because I don't think it's going to take very long now. Um, <laughs> we've gone, gone from something that could have been very very deep to uh, uh, let's let's do it on, on on face value if you like, and um, and I think my my actual interest in photography um, came from my interest in cars. Uh, mm, okay. back, back back in the day, and uh, up until uh, you know, my interest in cars is actually al- almost completely gone now, uh, for lo- lo- lots of reasons. Mainly because I can't afford to go out and get the kind of car that I might want to buy. So why why bother? Um, and um, but certainly as a as a kid and uh, and most of my adult life, I've been pretty much obsessed by cars and. I grew up with uh, a magazine in the UK called Car, uh, so Car Magazine uh, was the uh, the name. I don't actually read it read it anymore, but um, but I would see it on the on the, the supermarket shelves or the or the um, the paper shop, the newsagents, and uh, and I'd I'd look up at it and and I'd just be knocked out by the photo, the, by the, whatever the photograph is of whatever the car is, and you know usually be some some kind of supercar, a Porsche, a Ferrari, or, or whatever. Um, but these these photographs were just absolutely stunning, um, and I, I I started to buy that magazine in about 1980, and it was as absolutely as much about the photos of the cars as it was about the cars themselves and i think that was one of the reasons why that actually got me into photography in the first point in fact the the car photography in car magazine was was that good um and it must have been a a thing in itself because they actually made a special edition uh magazine it was called car photo and that must have come out in the early early 80s or some, something like that and it was just literally just photographs of cars with interviews of the uh, the photographers like colin kerwood was one of them i think ian dawson with with the two photographers that um i could almost tell who took the photograph of of uh, whichever uh, shot uh, been um, or set review or whatever it was article on uh, on a car by the um, by the by you know, just how the photograph are being constructed and uh, com- composed, and that was long before I had actually any real interest in actually taking photographs myself. Um, so that that's that's probably been my my biggest outside influence is, is yeah is, is being cars. Yeah, like you've just been talking there about um, your fishing as a as a as a as a big hobby of yours. I've hardly ever taken photographs of cars other than the sake of just taking a picture of a car. I've never attempted to emulate my heroes if you like and and their photography from from the late 70s or early 80s i've just never 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 tried and i've never wanted to either i've just um i've just view that as being something that i don't know it's been spe- these people have done really really special work and i just i don't want to even try to emulate it yeah because i think it's a different question um to look at that, the way that your other interests influence photography versus just looking at the things that influence your photography in the first place. Yeah. Um, because, you know, exactly as you say, having an interest in cars doesn't necessarily mean that you want to go and photograph them. Um, because when I see other people taking documentary photos of people fishing in, you know, especially exotic locations around the world, I'm often blown away. You know, I love those backlit silhouettes of, like 
you know, villages in Cuba and people fishing on the coast. Like those, some of those images just make me so happy to look at, but I have no interest in making them because if I'm honest, if I'm standing in front of people fishing, I'm watching to see what kind of fish they're catching. I don't give a crap about photographing them. <laughs> and, and I suspect that, you know, if, if, if we put you in a room full of supercars, you know, busting out the camera would not be your first motivation. Right? No, I don't know not, if that's not, accurate. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely the case. Definitely the case. Whereas if I see a group of fishermen, I'll, I'll think, oh, that might make an interesting photograph. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it, it, there's, there's almost a certain degree where the interest um you know it it transcends the photography because once you put a camera to your face you you're no longer it, it's hard to maintain the same kind of immersion or contact or, or or uh interaction with what you're doing right so there are certainly times and for me one of them is watching people fish or fishing myself uh where i i don't want a camera in between me and the fish coming out of the water i just want to I just want to check that out yeah, but uh, it's a really good question. I think this is, it bears reflection. Mm. Um, but the surface level answer is, I don't think any of my interests are things that influence my photography or make me want to photograph them. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I, and having answered the question incorrectly, uh, <laughs> I, think, um, I think I'm pretty much in a similar kind of position to, to, to yourself, really. I, I've, I think I view photography it's that it's that thing isn't it there's photography and there's camera collecting and lens collecting and uh enjoying the the the, the objects which is uh, uh whenever somebody talks about this they usually point point towards Hamish Gilbert so that's something they, they absolutely nailed really in his opinion uh, about about this and yeah there is photography as a hobby and there is collecting using doing stuff with lenses and that's it's not necessarily the same thing and um and it just so happens i like both and that's enough for me to for for it to be my influence yeah exactly um and you know some people who have the same affliction as we do uh some of them really enjoy photographing cameras vintage cameras as uh subject matter right mm, yeah. you know mike mike novak posts awesome photos of his giant collection of stuff um but i i like i have no interest in photographing my cameras as subjects Mm. Unless I have to for the podcast art, yeah. Um, I think I, I think I would probably. I've got no, I've got no problem with actually doing taking pictures of lenses and cameras. In fact, I, I find myself no, I shouldn't do it. Um, but perhaps I should do it more. But I think it's a, it's, I think it's a, it's quite an easy subject for me to actually take some photographs and think of you know how can I make this look a bit more interesting and so on. That there's something stopping me from doing it because I'm thinking, well, is it a worthy thing to take? And and then you can go around into that other argument we've talked about before about what makes a worthy photograph. And it's about the end of the day, if you want to take a photograph of something, you just damn will take it. And it doesn't matter yeah. if what people's opinions are of that photograph or the subject matter. It's a case of if 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 that's made you happy and you produce something that you're happy with, fine. That's it. That's all that matters. Simon, Simon you spent a lot of time thinking about worthiness in photography. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, you've you mentioned that many times on on different episodes, and it's not something that, like, certainly I've never thought about. Well, maybe that's not true. Um, maybe there are times, you know, if you're standing in front of a cliche image and you're just like, "Oh, am I going to take this again?" But I think in the case of photographing cameras, I, I think some of the photos are awesome, and I totally get why they're worthy subjects. It just doesn't really—it's not the kind of thing that I want to do. Mm. But I, but I don't look at pictures of vintage cameras and think, "Oh, that's an unworthy subject." Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
but I mean, dude, I, you spent a lot of time thinking about that concept, and that that's fascinating to me. It, yeah, and it's 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 a problem. <laughs> There's no right. problem. Yeah, I, I and I I know I know that's that 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 that's an issue in itself. I mean, interesting enough, there was um, only a couple of days ago we interviewed um, a chap called uh, Borut uh, Peterlin. Um, of top ship photography on the of YouTube fame, and he's a large format photographer. And we had him on the large format photography podcast. And I was watching one of his uh, his his videos, and I'm not a YouTube person at all, uh, but I can watch I can watch his stuff because it's just beautifully made, very relaxing, very chilled. And he comes out with words of wisdom, and uh, and on this is one of his latest ones. He's just talking about you know uh, about stress. And uh, and he's talking about stress being connected to ego. Uh, you know, the bigger your ego, the more likely you are to be stressed about things. And mm. um, and you should just just let let things go. And things don't need to be as important. Uh, you 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 make certain things too important. Um, and so there's just there's just no no need to really. And uh, and it's and that's exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about there. You know, I'm sort of. Uh, you can build yourself up to think, well, is this going to make a good enough photograph to be worth pressing that 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 button? Well, who cares? Who really actually cares? And um, and sometimes you've got to get over yourself, haven't you? Really? Yeah, but I, but I think there's definitely that aspect of it. But I also think that you know when you talk about worthy photos, it's probably a process that all of us go through as well um, in a more, I guess, superficial and non-ego related way because. I mean, I, I certainly had the experience where I'm shooting where I bring the camera up to my eye and I think, uh, I don't want to press the shutter for this image because either I've shot it before or I've seen millions of photos like it before. Or I just think like the story here is not, or, or the emotion or the composition or the light is not that strong. It's not that striking. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it, may be, it may be a kind of dynamic of push and pull between the deeper concept of worthiness that links to ego and also just the much more superficial. Eh, I don't think it's worth taking this photo. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, because I'm just imagining like either, either this whole worthiness thing is I'm imagining you standing there with a camera and there's like, I don't know, a flower in front of you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, and either the thought process is, um, eh, it's not worth taking this photo because I've shot this kind of thing a million times and it doesn't really have any, you know, special content. Or it's a much more, you know, uh, reflective process where you're like, am I worthy of this film? Is this image in front of me worthy of the pressing of this shutter? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's. I think I, there's there's a few. Yeah, there's lots of things going on there. Um, but I, and and this 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 could be one of those those things where you know, you've about influence out, outside influences. But you know, I, I you know talked about Isabel Cudes, uh earlier, and um, and the fact that you know she can be incredibly influential. And and I might look at something. And I think, well, what would what would Isabel do with this photograph? And yeah, because I know what I would I would do with it because I've done it so many times before. But what else could I do with it? And then I I'll look at it and think I can't actually do anything else other than what I've already done with it, and therefore I don't bother taking it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the outside influence thing is unavoidable, right? I mean, at the beginning of this whole coronavirus thing in January, I was out every day photographing people in masks um, because it was such an interesting way to look at the streets. And now I'm just like, I don't want to do it anymore because everyone's doing it. It's like I look, everything I look at on Instagram or on online or even in, in galleries these days or in the news, all I'm seeing is pictures of people on the street in masks. I'm like, I don't want to shoot that anymore because it's just like it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. Mm. Okay. Well, I think I think we should move things on, and yeah. um, and uh, and I, I'm going to propose that we don't start to go through the um, the the suggestions that we've had on Facebook as well as what we've just done there. Uh, no, but there are some really really good suggestions, and I think on on the basis of what we've just actually been uh, we've spent you know quite some time talking about the uh, the the emails that we've had had today. I think they've they've uh, led to some. You know, well, I hope to be some pretty interesting discussion there, and certainly some um, a food for thought for the future as well, and um, and and more things we can do. So I I think we we need to we need to revisit those um, those those uh, suggestions uh, on Facebook at at, at another time. Um, yep. So. Um, yeah, we're not sure when that other time will be. Uh, it may be sooner. It may be longer. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll play it by ear, but we we will uh, we'll do that probably next. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, is there is there anything else you might want to say, or or should we just go to shout outs and start to close things down? What do you think? Uh, no, I think I think we've covered everything. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I've got one. <clears throat> shout out uh, that I want to do and that's to Lawrence Dunn um, who uh, is who is uh, seems to be on the uh, on the upward curve now of uh, having what is a suspected case of coronavirus and he's been in a you know quite a bit of a state and he, he wrote a, uh, a post on his uh, Facebook page uh, just explaining uh, you know what what he's been going through and it's been pretty horrible um, so, um, but I'm I'm glad glad to hear that. Well, glad to see that Lawrence is making a a, a bit of a reappe- reappearance lately. So he's um, he's not he's not out of the woods with it, but he certainly um, seems to be a fair bit better than he was. So uh, so that's that, that's good news, Lawrence. So a uh, little shout out to you there. That's that's good to hear that he's getting better. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, Let's just see if I can log into our coffee. Ah, I can. That's good. Because I couldn't log into uh, the large format photography podcast coffee account the other day, but I can do today. And let's just um, recap because it's been ages, I think, since we've even done this. Um, mm-hmm. So, 7th of April. Oh, got there's one here from Lawrence Dunn. Uh, that, thank you very much. So that was on the 3rd of April. Um, and. You know what? I think I might have to go back a little bit further because I can't remember. I don't think we did this at all last time. So let's 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 go back to ah, I remember that one. There's one from Robbie J. We've done that one, and uh, and we've definitely done that one. Okay, so Pisa Kosciani, um, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. Three coffees for you. One for Simon for a very quick delivery of four conical lens caps. <laughs> that's good. That's good timing. Um, I was I was surprised how quickly they they got to Oz uh, given co- uh, COVID. Uh, a coffee each for Johnny and Anthony Roof. Your excellent recommendations of Ilford X XP two XP two mm-hmm. and Triax XP two. Yeah, film. 
Is that what it is? I thought it was on XP3 these days or XP4 or something like that. So is XP2, <laughs> no. is it? Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're confusing HP5 with XP2. I, I, yeah. I, I tell you why I'm confused there. Because the last time I used Ilford XP, it was XP1. Um, so yeah. so um, that was a while ago, as, as you might imagine. Um, okay, so uh, Nigel Cliff, uh, good to have you back. Um, and, that, and that Johnny is feeling better. Ooh, well, yeah, he's, he's, he, well, he is feeling better now, but he wasn't last time, but he is now a little bit. So uh, thank you for that, Nigel. Uh, Brian Woolworth uh, dropped us some. Thank you very, very much, Brian. Um, Christopher J. May, uh, been a while since my last contribution. Um, looking forward to the day when I can I can stop at Central Camera again. Take care. Um, yes, J. Uh, Christopher, that will be good. And hopefully Johnny might even be back there again. So, uh, yeah, who, who knows what's going to happen on that front. Uh, but fingers crossed. Um, then we've got a, something from uh, Robert Danny. Uh, and uh, he's got a, rec a rectangle... Oh, here we go. This goes. This is to do with the uh, the name of the uh, the previous podcast, isn't it? Uh, squaring the. Um, I mean, I wrote the title. I can't remember what I put there, but it was an odd one. Uh, yeah. um, yes, that one. Um, a rectangle that is a circle that. Oh dear! I should have given this to you, shouldn't I? A rectangle <laughs> that is a circle that is a hat box is a dash dash dash. I'm no mathematician, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't make it a cylinder. Yeah, you're, you're quite correct. But we're talking about things being conceptual. So that means it could be anything if I'm correct. I'm, I think that's the case. Um, that was a great session um, and another great show. Uh, take care and happy Easter. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, and then Chris Holland, um, who's had several mentions uh, in, in the show now. Um, hi, Simon, Johnny and Perry. Um, is is my classic lens buying guide checklist complete and correct in your view yes well thank you for your email and uh, as you would have heard earlier we've uh, we're going to devote some proper time to that and uh, go into that in a little bit more detail so uh, and then we've got uh, thank and thanks to perry i can now pronounce this potentially and that's uh, gary florchak uh, <laughs> Uh, have a cup of coffee or, or tea on me thank you very very much and th so thank you to all of those people um uh, that have uh, helped us out there that's uh, really really good of you um so that that's it um so so perry outside of the show how can people find you uh, you can find me on Instagram or Flickr at perry g or my never updated website at perryg.com Okay, and I'm on Twitter as Simon4, that's F-O-R, not the number. Uh, Simon Forster Photographic is how you can find me on Instagram. Um, I have a website which is called simonforsterphotographic.co.uk where you can buy wonderful lens caps. Um, and uh, you've, you've heard just how good they are when people are even write in to tell us just how good my lens caps are. Um, and uh, where else, where else? Uh, we have an email address if you want to uh, send us a message. Um, and that is classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. That's uh, right. That's it. Um, we also have this, this podcast goes out on YouTube as well, where you can listen, listen along and look at no pictures um if you if that if that works for you and it does work for some people um we don't have a specific instagram account but we do have a little partnership with best vintage lens um so if you tag your photographs with uh, 
actually I think it's, I think they're doing classic classic lenses as well as um, uh, best vintage lens. But if you tag your your, uh, your photographs on Instagram with best vintage lens, then you've got a good chance of getting your picture featured uh, on on best vintage lenses on Instagram. Um, and I'm thinking, is there anything else, any other contact details or things like that that I need to do, other than Johnny, of course, because you can obviously follow Johnny on Instagram and not get access because he doesn't let anybody follow, uh, and that is on System Photography. <laughs> um, and um, you can find us uh, hanging out in our dedicated Facebook group for the podcast, which is Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group. And we also hang out a bit in photography with Classic Lenses as well. Um, have I covered everything there, Perry? Did you do YouTube? Yeah, I've done YouTube, yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeah. then I think I think we are fully covered. Excellent. Okay. So uh, uh, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called Octo Blues. And that's it. So not sure exactly when we're going to be back next who knows might actually be back in a week um fingers crossed if we if we can so hope you enjoyed this week's show and uh, stay safe and if you can be like carl <laughs>